Hello, and welcome to the Orthopod. My name is Liam Fernando Canavan. I'm a medical student at the University of Melbourne, and this is a podcast where I'll take a history from experts in orthopedic and musculoskeletal medicine. Dr. Gary Berryman graduated with honours in medicine from the University of Melbourne in 1987 and gained his fellowship from the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners in 1994. Gary has also completed further training to obtain a diploma in obstetrics and gynaecology and a fellowship from the Australian College of Rural and Remote Medicine. Julie Mackay is a registered nurse and accredited mental health nurse who began her training in Sydney and then pursued a passion for rural and remote health care across far north Queensland. Gary and Julie work together at Cardwell Family Practice, a remote clinic providing much-needed care to a community of around 1,000 people in far north Queensland. Welcome to the Orthopod, Dr. Berryman and Julie. Thank you, Liam. Thank you, Liam. Gary, let's go back to 1981. Muhammad Ali had his last professional fight. Slim Dusty released, I'd love to have a beer with Duncan, and you started your medical degree. What was it like studying medicine at the University of Melbourne? Well, 1981, Liam, was also six years before the first MRI, six years after the first CAT scan, and the year AIDS first broke out. So it was a fair while ago. And studying at the University of Melbourne was interesting for the first three years. I didn't really enjoy the university years. Uh, I considered dropping out each year for three years, thought I was going to fail my exams, and got into the clinical years, and life changed, and I enjoyed it. What were some of the successes that you had in the clinical years? Uh, the successes were realising I might not fail and, and that people skills go a long way. And at the time, we are at the base of the one hospital, I was at Royal Melbourne, we were in groups of six and we are in that, those same six people for the three years and with all our rotations were with those six people and we formed very strong bonds and friendships and it was a great social situation and made wonderful lifelong friends. Who, who else were some of the people that supported you in your journey as a medical student? Well, what was very important to me was having friends that weren't medical students and weren't medical. And my, my great escape was leaving, playing sport on weekends and catching up with old high school friends and people who were happy to see me as an old maid and not a medical student. And Julie, can you tell me about why you wanted to be a nurse and your journey from Sydney to Cardwell? That's a that's a long one, that one. So I actually wanted to be a nurse. My grandmother had uh, dementia and Parkinson's and at the age of about 13, she came to live with us and I would get home from school, she'd been incontinent and so I would shower her and look after her till she went to a nursing home a few years later. So that was the start of my journey when I was about 13. My first job at 15 wasn't to go to Coles as a checkout chick. I actually worked in a nursing home on weekends and after hours. So all down in Sydney, left school at 16, didn't want to do HSC, went that way, did nursing through nursing home, enrolled nurse, then be, went off to university, become a registered nurse with dual certificate. And from there, finished everything, worked for three years in Sydney after I graduated and then got married. And my husband was from Western New South Wales and I was from Sydney. So our journey started because he didn't want to move to Sydney and I couldn't get a job where he lived. So we travelled north and knew that we were going to settle somewhere in Queensland 
and went up the coast and finally settled up in Mackay. And you've been quite, you've sort of been all around North Queensland. Where are some of the other places you've been to? Um, I started my career in North Queensland in Mackay. I worked there for 13 years over many different areas, medical, intensive care, um, clinical testing, psychiatry, then moved up to Bamiga in Cape York, right up the tip of Australia, five uh, communities, Indigenous communities or First Nation communities that had a population of about 2,000 um, with a fluctuating population of about up to 3,000 over the tourist season. Stayed up there for about three years, was the CNC of the hospital, so relieved in the director of nursing positions and then transferred back to Innisfail because my daughter needed to go to a a school that was going to challenge her a little bit more and uh, went back to, uh, worked out of Innisfail for the next 10 years doing school vaccinations, school-based youth health nurse, doing community health, working in our First Nation community at Jumbin, just in between Carville and Tully, and then also um, setting up cardiac and pulmonary rehab and running those programs as well. And now down in Carville, to where I first came through in 1993, and my husband said, we want to work here, and now we actually work and live here. Do so. you consider yourself a Cardwell local? No. I don't I don't actually consider myself a Queenslander. So you're still a Sydney sider? They yes, yes. <laughs> I, I maybe I think I'm a Queenslander, but if you're from New South Wales you never become a true yeah, Queenslander. That's what I was getting to. <laughs> and Gary, you've got quite a history of, of rural medicine and, and now working here in Cardwell in a more remote setting. Um, but before you got to that, what was your career like as a GP in rural northern Victoria, particularly in Benalla? It was very interesting. It was very, it was hard, but it was in a, a large group practice and we supported each other very well. We covered the local hospital 24 hours a day uh, where the local GPs are the hospital doctors and did obstetrics. They still do obstetrics. Uh, they have specialists who come up from Melbourne, uh, the GPs do give the anaesthetics, so it's a very varied population and of patients, and it, it's the classic cradle-to-grave care. What sort of, how did you end up there? Like, you trained at Melbourne Uni, did, and you said you had some rotations at base hospitals. Was that what made you want to go and work up there? Yeah, it, it, once I got to the hospital situation, and, and perhaps with the people I was training with, it quickly became clear that, that I was interested in being a generalist rather than tunnelling into a specialty such as orthopaedic surgery. Um, and so I was looking at general practice, emergency department or rural general practice and it also rapidly became clear to me that city general practice in a big metropolitan area like Melbourne is vastly different to uh, rural general practice and it's challenging uh, but but it's interesting and personally that's what made me tick and the comparison between rural general practice and city general practice there is no comparison and GPs can become generalists what does a rural generalist mean a rural generalist uh, the concept was originally I believe brought into Australia by my great friend Professor Richard Murray, who set up the, the JCU Medical School uh, and was my best mate in uni, 
and he came up with the concept of a rural generalist. I believe he, it was already in place in some countries such as Canada, and he quickly realised that in a country such as Australia that's so vast with great distances from, from base hospitals that unless you had highly skilled, highly trained rural GPs capable of, of doing multiple things, such as giving anaesthetics, working in the emergency department, resuscitating people, delivering babies, there wouldn't be a medical service for Australia. So Cardwell's about halfway between Townsville to the south and Cairns to the north, uh, and there's a few places in between that I've learned in my time up here, Tully, Innisfail, Kennedy, which is where Bob Cat is from, I believe. Ah... Uh. Bob's from Innisfail, actually. Okay, Bob's from Innisfail. Bob's from Innisfail, but he does the Kennedy Electra, yes. which is what we're in. Yes. Well, we don't, we don't need to talk about um, the Honourable... Bob, Bob we says, love Bob. Bob said to say hello. Okay, yeah. Bob says hello. Thank you, Bob. Um, but we're focusing on Cardwell, and particularly mm-hmm. the Cardwell family practice. And Julie, you're probably a bit more of a local than Gary is, so I might start with you. Yep. What can you tell me about Cardwell? Maybe you could start with the Cardwell UFO Festival. Holy moly, you went straight to it, didn't you? <laughs> I don't know why. The Cardwell UFO Festival, it's a festival that happens every year in Cardwell in first or second weekend of August. It's a, it's a two-day festival where we have people come with their little tin hats to, to Cardwell. Um, it was based on, I believe, one story is that there was three blokes sitting on the beach one day saw something go over and it was definitely a ufo definitely definitely but i i do believe those three young fellows may have been intoxicated at the time and then the other other stories around crop circles we had in the cane just north of us around billiana bluff area so but it is a festival that happens. Lots of people come from all over Australia and actually fly in from America to attend our UFO festival, which they do talks on UFOs and paranormal stuff. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. We've actually got a very vibrant little community here in regards to the things that happen. It's something happens every month here. Do, do you think... The UFO festival is bigger than the Barra Bonanza, which is Barramundi yes, fishing bonanza. Yes, it is. Then it's huge. It's huge, yes. We have dress-ups. We have best UFOs. The town actually has each business decorates for the UFO festival. Yeah, so. okay. And do you get a few interesting patients that just happen to turn up around then as well? Not really. We don't actually get many of the patients, which we're probably lucky with, because um, most of them come pretty healthy, thank goodness. But we, but because we're in town and and we all we all attend the UFO festival yeah. and sit in the chair and pretend that we're like aliens, um, <laughs> it's it's great. Yeah, it's great to see the community become so vibrant. As I said, it's, it's usually from April to October every month. There's actually something in Cardwell to do. Do the Lions have club club have their sausage sizzle? We UFO festival. Yep. So the Lions Club actually do many things at the festival, and uh, one of them is cook sausages for the aliens. 
Oh, okay. And some of the other things that are around Cardwell, other than the UFO Festival, Gary said the Barra Bonanza. There's, yeah. So there's local schools and, and all Yeah, that. we've got local schools, we've got shops. Basically, you don't actually need to leave Cardwell. Yeah, you've got all your local butchers, grocery stores. There's a little clothes shop that you can go and grab a pair of shoes if you if your flip-flops break, break. Can I get board shorts there and go for a swim in Cardwell? No, you can swim in the uh, the creeks but not in our ocean. We've got a lovely big crocodilian that sits out in our ocean. Um, so no one swims at our lovely beach. Cardwell's actually a coastal town, so basically where the practice is, the next street down is actually the beach. So... We can't swim there because of the crocodiles, but we have many interesting waterfalls and freshwater swimming holes around here that are crocodile-free. And a 50-metre swimming pool. And a 50-metre swimming pool, we do. Yeah, and the Great Barrier Reef is, like, not too far from here. Uh, so the Great Barrier Reef, by boat, is around about 45, 50 minutes by boat. Wow, okay. And, Scoop, you love fishing. There's People catch a lot of barramundi, and then there's sort of a period where they'll swim away, and you're saying... Yes, the, the, the barramundi season officially closes on the 1st of November and reopens on the 1st of February. But some of the cardboard locals assure me that the, the barramundi seem to know this and disappear and cardboard's yellow-eyed silver salmon come in oh, okay. for those months. Right, okay. Well, we, we'll, we'll crack on here because it sounds like there's a lot to do in Cardwell and Very much. And it's a lovely, vibrant community that I felt very welcoming for the past couple of days. But of considering the fact that it's a remote town and Australia has about 26 million people, only 1% live in remote areas. And the Australian College of Rural and Remote Medicine says that for helping people in remote communities, it's about the right doctors in the right places with the right skills, providing rural and remote people with excellent healthcare. However, despite quite a serious need for medical services and healthcare workers with a broader scope of practice, Remote medical clinics like Cardwell Family Practice often rely on short-term staffing and with those staff it's often, often having a high turnover of staff too, which ultimately has a negative effect on the effectiveness and cost of care up here. So for both of you, what are some of the experiences that you guys have with rural and remote medical clinics and, and staff turnover and things? So firstly, I, I agree with everything that, that you said there, except that you've got to have a skilled nurse behind a skilled doctor. So the story around that is that uh, the previous GP had been here for 20 years. Um, he was unable to sell the practice um, and was relocating. So he was a solo GP. So he actually decided that he was going to close the doors after he couldn't get anyone to work here. At the time, Carmen, the practice manager, and I had actually worked privately and through Queensland Health with this GP. We decided, I put it to Carmen and said, hey, why don't we buy it and see if we can keep it running? And we did. And so for the last, we've just hit our eighth year as of yesterday that we've kept the practice running to maintain health services in Cardwell. So without us, there would not have been a general practice in Cardwell if we hadn't have taken that step to purchase that off the previous GP and then run with locums and, as you said, medical staff is very difficult. General practitioners are very difficult to recruit to the area with COVID, with border closures, with incentives being dropped by the government, locum agencies fees going up, 
the Queensland Health offering $3,000 a day for a doctor to work for them because they don't have any doctors makes it really hard for a general practice to be able to do that in these small areas where you've only got one to two GPs who you can filter all costs for the practice across. Nursing, can't get nurses. We run on second and third year nursing students to, to actually boost our workforce. So, but yeah, behind every good doctor is a really good nurse. Hey, Gary. Definitely. Were it not for the quality of nursing around me, supporting me, I wouldn't be here. You just can't do it on your own. And in fact, it's effectively having another doctor here who doesn't have a provider number. And if there wasn't another doctor here, what would happen to the community? Uh, so if there's no doctor here, our local hospitals are 30 minutes away by ambulance. And a lot of our patients actually don't have driver's licences or only restricted to the, to the local area, so they, they wouldn't be able to get services. Telehealth services, even though they're wonderful and great, they will not provide anything other than a four-week script and won't provide any um, pain medication to anyone. So then they're really only a stopgap for a toothache type thing, which is wonderful, but not helpful to um, long-term elderly patients, First Nation disadvantaged patients, as well as our low-income low people that live within Cardwell as well. And Gary, for people living in rural and remote areas, they generally have higher rates of chronic disease, hospitalisations, deaths and injury than people living in major cities. Can you give people a sense of appreciation for the pathology up here compared to what is back home in some of the practices that you've worked at in metropolitan or rural Victoria? Sure. Before I do that, though, can I just, again, just to highlight the practicality of my reliance on dedicated, highly skilled nurses that we have here, being Julie and the others that have been here in, in that time. I've been here three years. How many times a day would I ask you how to do something? Several. Yeah, I, I would I would say six or ten. Yep. Most days. Yep. And, and a lot of it is how do I do this in Cardwell, and some of it is how do I do this? Yep. Um, Where do they go? Yep. So you know that that's the relationship you need to have, and if you can't have a working relationship like that, then the place doesn't function. Yep. In answer to your question about pathology, at the moment we have another doctor here, and he says he's worked in a lot of country towns and big cities and this is the sickest community he's seen. I don't consider them sick. I just consider that they're, they're walking pathology textbooks. And almost every patient every day has multiple chronic complex medical conditions, which I find fantastic because it keeps you sharp, it keeps you interested, it keeps your brain going. They're appreciative. It, it means that by necessity, we have to have close relationships with, with specialists in, say, Townsville. They're very supportive. So although it's remote, you're never actually alone. Far from it. In, in fact, I feel much less alone here than I have in gen city general practice where maybe a few times a day you might see pathology and a lot of the time it's the working well or people wanting script for the pill, medical certificate, because they're off for the day. Uh, it's vastly different. And, and for me, I, I find it much more rewarding. So even though it's a challenge with this, the community having lots of chronic conditions and they're quite ill, 
it actually draws you to want to support that community and be involved a lot more because it's a it's a challenge for you as a doctor. It's you're always thinking. It's exciting. I mean, correct. It, it would it be fair to say that there should be more doctors sort of wanting that challenge out there. Well, I'm surprised there aren't. Uh, I, I suspect a lot of people who are city trained feel underskilled and out of their depth. Uh, you know, in the right supportive environment, you're definitely not. And gee, you know, you're really appreciated by the patients. And so, so you're not walking home feeling knackered. You're walking home feeling that was a great day. I'm walking home happy and looking forward to catching a fish. <laughs> I have got something to add in there. Um, just in regards to medical students, um, if we've got time, it's just that um, we had a young medical student, second year like we've got now, JCU medical student, come here roughly, well, she would have been here about three years ago now. Um, she's actually asked us to come back next year to work alongside Gary here. This young girl came as a second year medical student to us who was super quiet, never said a word, had to push her all the way to really in enhance her communication skills. She actually is going to follow the generalist stream when she finishes uni. She's in her sixth year and she's requested to come back here because of our learning environment to actually complete her generalist, to, to do her generalist elective with us. The, 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 the JCU students that come here, they're fascinated mm. by it and, and they the feel pathology she and they feel really grateful to, yeah. to have come and and the learning so environments yeah that's what this young girl said can I come back because I really loved your learning environment and this was a young girl that you pushed the whole way you've got to talk you've got to do this you know and to build her up so it'll be interesting to see a six year coming back to do their generous rotation here with us mm -hmm. well I know in the two days that I've had or two or three days I've had here I've, it's been incredible I've, I've never seen a lot of the things that we, you know but they're also just textbook stuff that we should all know as medical students and you get a lot out of being in a clinic like this not that I didn't enjoy my GP rotation yeah. I had in Melbourne but in terms of practicality and thinking about internship and so on in the mm -hmm. future being in a place like this where it is a supportive learning environment mm -hmm. and there's lots of interesting patients not with overly complex tricky conditions that you're going to see in your exams but the yes. sort of stuff you're going to see day to day as a doctor, it's, it's great to be up here. And another thing I've sort of got exposure to is seeing First Nations people. Mm -hmm. And although First Nations people are more likely to live in urban and regional areas compared with remote areas, the proportion of the total population who are Indigenous increases with remoteness. Julie, how does the Cardwell family practice engage with the local Indigenous community? We're open. We don't turn them away. They can turn up any time and we will see them. We don't necessarily hold them to you have to have an appointment. Understanding that First Nation people run on a different set of times, but we have to have that availability. There is no AMS here, Aboriginal Medical Service, so we are their service. We've got a really good relationship with most of our First Nation patients actually come here or request to come here because we have that, that draw card. I will never, you know, I'll be out on my push bike and stop and have a yarn to them as well. So it's about supporting them from the front to the back end. So if, if they come in, the girls at the front never turn them away. They come and talk to the doctor or, you know, Gary or me and we make sure that we, we get in there and see them because 
obviously um, their pathology can be quite significant, but also to their acute unwellness can lead to long-term complexities as well. Can, can I just give a bit of a shout-out to, again, to Cardinal Family Practice on that and to do with the, the complex patients is a, a practice like this needs good systems. Um, and the good systems rely on everyone understanding those systems from the doctors to the receptionists. Our complex patients, we, we have systems in place that they come back you know, generally at least every three months. They're followed up very carefully. So are the, the First Nations people. If they don't turn up for their when, when they're due to be seen and it, it's important and, and not not the First Nations people but, but some of our other chronic patients, it's not unusual for Julie to go and get them from the pub <laughs> and, and bring them here. Uh, yeah, pull them in at the bottle and off we come up, do what we have to and, and drop them back. <laughs> it's what we got to do. We know where they are. If we, if, we, if we actually need people, we actually know in town where they potentially will be or someone else will know and we will track them down. Because a lot of them have got, as, as Gary says, that they do have pathology that we need to keep an eye on. And not that they're not adherent, they're forgetful. But, but it's also, um, I guess that's what structured chronic yeah. disease management, you know, is really about. Yeah. And all our patients are chronic and disease that's... patients. And even though financially it's tough sometimes, but the... the at least there's funding for chronic disease management. And if you do it properly for the right reason, it, it works great. Can I also mention the elephant in the room in rural remote practice, which, again, this is a credit to Julie and Carmen's insight, and I think the elephant in the room for doctors is on call. Uh, that, that's the hard bit. What do you mean? Well, if you have to be on call for your patients 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, like you did in Benalla, like you did, if, you know, if you're doing obstetrics, uh, it gets it gets tiring. And who does that? Uh, here, uh, Julie and Carmen have had the insight to know that that if they expected their doctor or doc doctors, if they were lucky enough to have two at the time, to do on call, they wouldn't have them. Mm. Um, and so, fortunately, here, a our patients are well trained, and so and well cared for, so that their complexities don't hit on weekends. Um, they do know that they need to go to the hospital on weekends, so it is 30 minutes either way. But we're, we've got a very good ambulance service that's literally next door mm. with you know, highly trained paramedics who we work very well with. Nice. And you know, unfortunately for them and fortunately for us, that they do the after-hour call-outs. And at my, my stage of my career... If I had to do on-call, on my own, seven days a week, not shared by others, I wouldn't be here because okay. I couldn't sustain it. Yep. No one could. Yep. No GP and cardinal could sustain that. Yeah. For the, for the patients who need specialist care, like we've just been talking about, maybe acute scenarios where they need to see an emergency department, they can get that care in the hospitals that are about 30 minutes away, which would be... Ingham and, and Tully. Tully. <laughs> yeah. But going further north or south, two hours away each way is Cairns or Townsville, which is where there's some tertiary hospitals. 
and Brisbane is 1,500 kilometres away from here. Which is a stone's throw compared to some towns yeah. Yeah. In, in Queensland, Northern Territory, Western Australia. Yeah, yeah, two hours is, no, is, is nothing. 1,500 kilometres is probably something that I would think. Um, but for accessing highly specialised care, we need to talk to paediatricians, consultant psychiatrists, maybe an orthopaedic surgeon or a skin specialist. You guys use telehealth. So yeah. how, how does that sort of work? Like, what, what do you need to do to, to link up a patient with a specialist on telehealth? I'll let Julie answer that one. We do, uh, we do public and private telehealth now. Um, so there's basically, apart from orthopaedics, because they really need to look at you, most others will actually do telehealth for us. So we either use uh, the platforms from Queensland Health, which is their internet link, or we use Skype or whatever domain the psychiatrists use. So all of our patients can be seen actually here. We find it actually much better because we've got a bit better, tighter rein on actually knowing what's going on with that patient at, at point of care. Because you so, sit in on the... Yeah. yeah. So I'll sit in or Gary will sit in. Usually I sit in on behalf. And then from that, we, you know, the plan will get given to me by the cardiologist or the renal specialist or whoever. And then I will talk to Gary before the patient leaves about that plan and if there's anything we need to follow up before the next review and what the doc, what the specialist has recommended, then the letter will come within that two to four weeks afterwards. But we've actually addressed the problem at the point of care. So in regards, it, it's a, the referrals go in and, and basically we ask for telehealth over face-to-face. The specialist then decides whether telehealth or face-to-face is, is preferred. But on most occasions, we can get telehealth for our patients who, who can't travel, who can't go down there. Like a lot of, a lot of specialist reviews are 15 minutes and it's a four-and-a-half-hour trip. Plus, then they've got to often wait around for four hours to come back. So it's a long day. So we try and make it easy for the patient better for us we get a point of care what's happening with that patient because most patients go to a specialist really have no idea what 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 they've spoken about when they come back but said oh they told me to come and see you and then we've got no idea what they're here to see us about so this way we get a, a bit better look at the patient and, and point of care with and, 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 and the patient comes here yes so they come here yep. to the clinic so yep even though it might be hard for them to travel many hours, as long as they can, at least, at the very least, if they can get to cardinal practice. Which yes, is, so know, most people can get to cardinal practice. There's a few patients that we actually have to go and pick up out, out at Kennedy, a few First Nation patients, that if we can't arrange transport, one of our reception girls will go and grab them for that appointment so they don't miss the the um, care that they need. Yeah, yeah. And, and Gary... If you're in a consultation with a specialist, it gives you the opportunity to, to ask the questions that perhaps you might have written on your referral face-to-face to. And it also, in terms of job satisfaction, um, it, it really magnifies the sort of the, the, the sense of medical camaraderie and understanding what the specialist thinks and, and you can just ask them any question you like and... It keeps you up to date pretty quickly. Oh, so you're actually sort of learning in learning, these... Learn, learning as you go. Yeah. Always learn. Yeah. Cool. 
Last question for both of you. Why should medical students think about a career in remote medicine in a place like Cardwell? Because uh, they'd be mad if they didn't. <laughs> uh, they're, they're, if they want to remain interested, remain appreciated, enjoy their time off uh, in a relaxing, supportive environment, they'd be bonkers not to think of it. And Julie, what do you reckon? And Julie, uh, so basically, once again, it's absolutely rewarding. It's an absolutely rewarding career in primary health care, complex care, even just your basic acute. We get everything through the door in one day. We can go from a heart attack to a bit of wood sticking out of someone's chest to someone who's just got chronic disease and someone who's just got a cold. So we've got... And a fish hook in the thumb. Fish hooks in thumbs. Love fish hooks in thumbs. Uh, so we've got a great variety. And I think, as Gary said, it's about rewarding variety and understanding. I was thinking about this this morning, understanding that without these ruralist GPs, the specialists don't really have any work to do. So it, can, it boils down to... to the trauma surgeons. The, yeah, the trauma surgeons have the, have the work and the orthopods. But a lot of the other stuff actually gets found by accident um, by doing routine workups on people and and in, instead. So it's very rewarding but very challenging as well. So if you like rewarding and challenging, this is a career for you. And can I address lastly address the other elephant in the room? Go for it. Rural remote practice, certainly it's financially a lot better off than being in a city. So, as well as being professionally more, more rewarding, there, there are other benefits. Well, thanks guys for having a chat with me today. I know I've got to get the clinic wrap up and running shortly, but in three days I've seen God's work, like the sort of stuff that people should do as doctors and you do a really good job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Orthopod. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by the handle at somagradgroup or on our website somagradgroup.com. See you in the next episode.